When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Our guest this week, professional golfer, St. Louis native, Jay Williamson. And um, he's presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. I have been looking forward to talking over with Jay Williamson. First off, I'm in golf nerd mode now. Uh, and three years ago, I guess. Yeah, three years ago, man. Two and a half years ago. Uh, I like JW. He's been on the radio show a bunch of times, but I would not have been as into uh, having a golfer on of really any sort. You could you could include you know pick somebody from the top ten because I just wasn't paying attention to the game because I wasn't playing the game. But the difference between Jay Williamson and any other golfer is Jay is so introspective and has always been so introspective and honest when we've interviewed him on the radio that the interviews, um, it doesn't matter if you're into golf. You're going to feel the emotion of his experiences because he's so candid with him. And so now being back into golf, but also knowing how great of an interview subject that Jay is because of his candor, uh, this was one that I had been looking forward to. It's kind of like when we started out with the thing back in October of 2017, the thing being this show. And I thought of people who I was really looking forward to interviewing and some may have struck people as obvious, uh, and others, uh, people like Mike Bush would be one that seems like that got a hell of a lot of traffic and people like, man, I loved that interview. And that was always a person that I thought if, and when I do a podcast, I would have in because I felt like he would be a great guest from these sports and news and just being a, uh, legendary figure in St. Louis broadcasting to have in and get his perspective and tell his stories over the 34 years, I think, 35 years now he's been in the market. And so along those lines with Jay Williamson, I know I, I recognize Jay would be the first one to say it, uh, that it's not like Jay Williamson is Dustin Johnson or Tiger Woods or Ricky Fowler or Justin Thomas or whomever from the golf world. But uh, I don't think those guys uh, would be as introspective is Jay is regarding their experiences in the game of golf, how hard uh, it is, but he uh, was a PGA Tour pro. And we were getting ready to do the interview, and uh, Iggy popped in to the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, and he said, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is if you would have won one of those two sudden-death playoffs, um, how different do you think your career would have been. And, you know, Iggy said, not to steal your thunder, Tim, we weren't recording at the time. And I said, well, hell, that's something I'm certainly going to, going to ask about because, uh, Jay Williamson in, uh, I believe it was 2007 at, uh, Hartford and 2008 at the John Deere went into a sudden death playoff. Uh, one time against Hunter Mahan, one time against Kenny Perry. Uh, that was a three-way playoff, but Kenny Perry wound up winning it and Jay lost uh, to Hunter Mahan as well, and just how different his world would have been had he just gotten one win. Um, and 
you know, I'm sure most players, especially guys who are in their 20s and are kind of coached up on how to answer questions and, you know, the Bull Durham approach of give them very little uh, and then they won't come back for more, which I totally understand. But Jay is just honest. And so we got into that. Um, I didn't realize that in 2007 against Hunter Mahan, who's still out there playing, um, he was uh, two. I mean, he had a chance to win it with a six foot putt on the 72nd hole, and then what uh, could have been uh, a win on the 73rd hole with a six foot putt, six eight foot putt, something along those lines, and he missed them both. And you know how much that means financially, but then almost how how much that means psychologically. And so that conversation and going through that experience, um, you know, because because with the game of golf like an eighth of an inch on an angle on your club. And whether that be the driver or the putter, it impacts where that ball winds up. And so nerves are so material to the game. And uh, Jay acknowledges that it's been something that he's had to battle. And now, as you will hear over the course of the interview, kind of in uh, breaking news, uh, he is back into it and is looking at getting back into the game professionally kind of a revelation of sorts here on the program uh, and the thought process that he used and then the result of that process that he came to that led to him wanting to go and truly commit, and that's the key, commit to playing the game and trying to do so at a high level on the Champions Tour. So all of that is in this conversation, which today, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, comes from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to bring you this week for our in-depth interview here on the Tim McKernan Show, PGA golfer and now Champions Tour golfer, Jay Williamson. JW, it's a pleasure. I'm fired up to talk to you. I really am. I really am. I'm excited about this. Well, I know that the second week of January, you're looking for guests. So let's let's just be honest. Absolutely not true. No, the truth is, is I go down to spring training in January because I like to get there before the players about three or four weeks. Yeah, I'm sure. And then I also stay at PGA National. Right. And uh, and I assume you've played there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I played the. uh, Did you you play the Honda? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a that's a that's a yeah. tester, isn't it? Well, that's one of the reasons that I probably retired because <laughs> <laughs> I was always very excited to play that event. And by the end of the week, I'm like, that and unfortunately, brutal. it was Friday. My end of the week was was, was Friday, Friday not Sunday. Stick but, around for the weekend. And, and I had a great I, so I stay right down the street from there at Old Palm. I've got oh, a buddy yeah, that yeah. lives at Old Palm. So that's always that was always one of the you know best weeks of the, of the year for me that one I, w- I went to it last year that's kind of the first time that tiger got going last year where he was in competition on right. sunday that's right and they try to create it i guess to make it be like the waste management with the 16th hole except the waste management if you, did you play the waste management well the waste management just had like thirty thousand more people than the 16th <laughs> hole at phoenix i mean just a little different yeah, it's slightly different ball game <laughs> Yeah. So that's like a 140, 150 yard shot with no real danger. Correct. As it currently is. As you know, for the bear trap at the Honda Classic. It's a, it's a ball buster. Oh my God. Yeah. And plus the winds in Florida in February and right. March. I'll never and you forget. get like a 200 yard carry over water with like a bunch yeah. of drunks around you in a stadium. Well, the ha- you know, like a fourth of the size. Of the I mean, I can, I can put myself into, in, you know, that's one of the most difficult par threes of the year, especially when you get that. At yeah, at, no. Yeah. At Honda. Because you get that northeast wind, so it's a okay, little I'm bit off your left yeah. shoulder, yeah. and so it, it's a very difficult shot. Because you know, if you miss it left, 
it's a very difficult up and down. Absolutely. And obviously you don't want to miss it to the right. Right, where so, the water is. Yes. Yeah. See, I love this. This is why I'm so yeah. excited because I'm going to nerd out on all of this stuff. <laughs> but here's the thing that I'm fascinated by because I was standing it. Uh, you had uh, quite an experience at the PGA Championship. Two of the most famous shots from the 2018 PGA Championship you are a part of. Oh, I ruined a lot of pictures. <laughs> I mean, Which people don't realize probably. <laughs> but as Tiger is making his way across... For the famous shot where they turn and they get the crowd, you were on the walkway. I can explain that, too. I have, and, a, story, and, <laughs> I have a funny story about that also. And then as he is shaking hands with Kepka, correct? And yeah. Kepka's girlfriend, girlfriend fiance, yeah. wife, yeah. whatever, is standing yeah. there looking at Tiger, which became a famous meme. You're, you're in the middle. <laughs> I was trying to keep my eyes up, and I think they were down. But anyway... So explain your, 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 your Bell Reef member. You've played there for a long time, but you happen to be in both those spots. Well, it, it, it's kind of a, a deep story. And since we've got a little time, Absolutely. I can expound. expound a little bit. But um, it, that was actually a really difficult week for me, quite honestly, because yeah, this is a little bit hard to explain. But the PGA of America, which controls the PGA Championship and runs the event, is a different organization from the organization that I was a part of, mm -hmm. and a member of the PGA Tour. Two completely separate organizations, and sometimes you never know if they're getting along or not. And they don't always, you know, integrate. And the PGA of America wants to be separate and independent, as does the PGA Tour. So I had no status, and I had no credentials for the week. So I was taking the shuttle in, you know. No way. Yeah. yeah. So it was. It was a. Uh, it, it was. It was a difficult week for me, also because I realized that I was old, and that I wasn't in the event. I couldn't have even been in the event if if I wanted to. Um, it, it, so there were a lot of emotional things about the event. So you're that having were to take a shuttle in. I was taking the shuttle. As a guy from, who played on the tour, and yeah. that's your home course. Yeah. Wow, but, that but, did have to be a little yeah, confounding. No, so so it was hard, and, and everyone's coming up to me, oh, isn't this great? I'm like, oh, yeah, this is fabulous. I love it. You know, <laughs> so anyway, and, and I'm not a golf spectator. I, you know, truth be told, I don't really – I have a hard time watching golf. My ADD gets the best of me, and I get distracted, and I want to do something else. So I don't I – don't, it's hard for me to sit and spectate golf. That's not something that appeals to right. me. And um, so anyway, it was a tough week, and by, the, by Sunday – I'd had enough of the shuttle. I had had enough of, you know, trying to get places where I used to be able to go, but I couldn't. And so I started, I had my, my gold PGA Tour badge that I still get every year, and I started showing that. And lo and behold, I mean, they just, like, rolled out the red carpet, carpet for me. So it was Sunday afternoon, it was late, and I got tired of being in the member's tent, being charged, you know, six bucks for a beer. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go out and watch Tiger finish. So I went out, my wife and I, we walked out, and I showed one of the security guards my badge, and they're like, oh yeah, go right up there. Unbeknownst to me, I'm going up the, the walkway where I can get a spot to see the 18th finish. And all of a sudden, here comes Tiger the other way. I'm like, holy shit. I, you can cuss on here, by I, the way, if you'd like. I can or can't. You absolutely can. I'm like, can. holy, you know what? Right. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> so anyway, my wife is, is, you know, she's just beside herself. She's like, Jay, we got to get out of here. This We're not supposed to be here. Anyway, 
So I just so this walking. is Tiger is walking towards Tiger's your wife. Tiger's coming like... up at us, <laughs> and I'm going the other way. And he's got the cameras following him. I'm right. like, oh my god! And I'm like, hey, you know, great playing, you know, shaking his hand. And then I'm realizing, yeah, I probably shouldn't be here, but I'm already there. So you know, we watched the the rest of the finish, and then we went back. And by this time, I'm inside the I'm in inside the guts of the ropes at this point. And so I'm like, well, what the heck? I'll just walk over there. I know. You know, I know Tiger. Ricky Fowler was standing there. I know Tiger's agent, Mark Steinberg. Um, and I'm just having conversations with him. And so I tried to go back up against this wall where I did, I, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to get out of the way. And all of a sudden, I'm, I see where they're going to sign their scorecards, which I didn't realize that that's where they're going. And that's where I got caught. And then, I, then I'm there. I can't get out, you know. I'm like. <laughs> so I was stuck, and then I—that's how I ruined the pictures. Yeah. So it—it it, it was not premeditated. Trust oh, me. Oh hell no! Nobody, it, it, I don't but I, anybody thought but, that. But it, it, I just—it was funny the way it all happened. <laughs> I did not know the backstory on the whole yeah. thing. You just yeah. were like. You were like Forrest Gump. Anytime there was one of those moments, there was Jay Williams. I, I got stuck like four or five times. And the texts I got from people, it was like just people just couldn't believe. And, and I think some people probably thought that I tried to do that on purpose, which oh absolutely God. I that did. would be insane. I didn't even realize, you know, half of the stuff that was, was going on. I just got stuck in probably the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> but it was fun because I got, I got Tiger to sign a golf ball for my son, which he Never does. Right. And somehow my son came out of that throng with one of Tiger's golf balls. How about that? Which is like, you know, leave it to George to come up with a Tiger sign or a Tiger ball. How so anyway, he signed it, which was cool. Oh, that's awesome. And then, uh, you know, then we went kind of back into the men's grill and, you know, and then we went out the front and that's where no one could really get access. So we were able to get a few autographs from some guys. What John did you Rahman. Anything you see behind the scenes that stand out to you outside of what we saw on CBS? You know what? Uh, no, not really. Um, you know, I had, it was interesting because I've been a member at Bell Reef for a long time and I used to kind of be in that environment, but I'd never played in an event of that magnitude at Bell Reef. So it was, it's pretty cool. I mean, the PGA, there, there was a lot of genius. There was an incredible amount of genius at the logistics of that event whether it was outside the ropes and all the parking, I thought it was an incredible job that the PGA of America and Bell Reeve did. Mm -hmm. But what they did with the locker room inside and connected it with the men's grill, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty cool experience inside the ropes too. Yeah. The, the thing that stands out to me about that is how St. Louis loved it. Like I was looking forward to it as a guy who's gotten back into the game right. and was just ready to nerd out about it. But yeah, you have become a golf nerd, haven't you? I have. Yeah, that's, that's why. All right. I, I, that's yeah, all I'm right. going to really nerd yeah. out on you no, here. It's going right. to be. I mean, I've already gone through the 17th <laughs> hole at the PGA National. Uh, <laughs> we only have 16, 17 others to go. But uh, but looking back on that week, I didn't anticipate St. Louis to respond like it did, and the players, including Tiger, all were raving because going into it, and I'm sure you know much more. And I also don't want to put you on the spot and put you in an awkward spot. But we know going in those who are kind of in the golf community, not to say that I'm in the golf community, but I know people who are, were like, man, this thing might be rough at Belle Reve because there were all these rumblings about the greens. And then the players... Those come, are all the old Warson members. Those are all the old Warson yeah. members? <laughs> They're sharpshooting. Uh, but the, but I saw the beginning of the week, and you have the guys on set there on the golf channel, or, you know, Brandel Chambly, and they're just like, these guys are going to pick this thing apart. And yeah, the scores were low, and there was a thought it might even get to minus 20. But then by the end of the week, the theme was what an incredible event and St. Louis needs another 
event. And that is what my takeaway from it was, which is not what I was expecting going in. And that makes me, as a St. Louis and as a golf fan, so happy. It makes me look back on that so fondly. You know, um, at the end of the week, I was actually, I was sad. And I, and I was sad because I'm like, you know, St. Louis did what I thought that they would do. They supported the event like they always do. They always support big events. Incredibly. And, 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 you know, I know that because players very, very rarely come out and actually say what Tiger said, what, you know, four Stuart sink said, what four or five other guys actually championed at mm-hmm. the end of the week was the fans here were incredible. And, you know, and I'm thinking, all right, well, we just lost the football team, blah, you know, everyone knows the narrative. It was just really interesting. But then I was sad because I'm like, you know what? I don't know when there will ever be another golf event in St. Louis of that magnitude. And then I'm thinking, you know, is St. Louis too small now? Because it's too small, I guess, for football. And, you know, it's almost like some of these major sporting events have outgrown this town. It, you know, because I don't know when there will ever be another event like that in St. Louis. And I'm thinking that's that's really sad to me. There's like, you know, for my whole life, there was always something. There was always another big golf tournament to look forward to. Bell Reeve has done an incredible job and probably doesn't get enough credit for that in that always they always stood in line and said and raised their hand and said, we will we will do another one. And there was always one coming up four, five, six years down yeah. the road, which is what the PGA Championship was. And now there's not one out there. You know, I've heard some rumors that there's going to be something that that happens, but there's certainly nothing that's 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 uh, you know under contract at this yeah, point. Yeah, well, if it were a major and it would be the PGA, it wouldn't be until the 2030s because yeah, they're but, under contract. Right, and then and the, the Ryder Cup is 2030s. Do you think either of those are in play? And what would the appetite of the membership be for that? Well, I think by that time, the, the appetite would, would certainly be better. But, you know, the schedule is going to change here dramatically. Yeah, the PGA yeah, Championship is going to be in May. Right. Which And Bill Reeves not a May golf course. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think there will be maybe some maybe a playoff event. I do think that Bell Reeve, I don't think, quite honestly— this is where I get in trouble, so maybe we can edit this later. <laughs> but I'm not sure that Bell Reeve is a, is a Ryder Cup-style golf course because Ryder Cup needs risk-reward golf courses like they had this past year, um, you know, that the, that the Europeans won in Paris. You know, a lot of water, so there's a lot of interest on I just don't think Bell Reeve, in the position that it's in today, and again, a lot of things can change in the next 10, 20 years, I don't think the golf course is where it needs to be today to be a Ryder Cup uh, golf course. But I think the infrastructure is certainly there, and I think the fan support would would certainly be there. Is there any other course in the area that you see could hold an event? No. No, period. No, no because because there's so many things that Bell Reeve has. The infrastructure, the location, the history, the pedigree. Um, you know, the people that have done this before. You don't just plop another major championship at, at Old Warson or Boone Valley or, you know, some of the others, you, you, there'd, be, there'd be not enough experience and wisdom that, that had gone along with it. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Jay Williamson, the man they call J.W. Love getting his perspective on the PGA Championship, one of my favorite moments in St. Louis sports history. And, uh, and Jay certainly a part of that, albeit as he acknowledged, not necessarily the way that he wanted it to be. 
but uh, he will always be remembered for two of the most famous shots from the 2018 PGA Championship. And he is presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. At the start of the year, there are two things, I think, on people's minds uh, when it comes to money. It's like, okay, it's a new year. The holidays are over. I've got to get it together. I have to get it together. It can't be another year where I'm disorganized. And then when, the second part, my taxes come around, I'm scrambling. And the next thing I know, I'm up until, you know, midnight on April 14th or April 15th, getting everything ready to go. And one of the things I've done, for example, you know, with, with having, um, you know, a few small businesses, uh, budgets are of course part of the deal. And so it's, it's very basic, but it's also, I, I love doing it. I'm a spreadsheet nerd, uh, is just track every single one of my expenses. Now, some people might be going, Oh, wow. You finally got around to that at age 42. Well played. Well, listen, let me tell you something. I'm a mess, but now that I do it and I can kind of see where everything's going and kind of go, oh, I'm probably spending way too much on this aspect. And, oh, I thought I spent this much on this aspect of my life, but I don't. So that's good. So there's a little cushion there. That's what Mark Hanna can do for you. Not that he's going to be doing your budgets, but he's going to get you organized. And just by doing this that I'm doing, it just makes me feel like I have more control of the process. And that's what Mark can do for you. And that's so helpful. Plus, for tax purposes, it's really so important. And your biggest expenses, even though you don't think of it this way because you're probably just focused on your net income, but if you look at that gross, your biggest expenses each month are your taxes. So Mark can help you with that. And and that's just one of the many things he can do. But you know what? This is a guy that I wholeheartedly recommend to our audience. Uh, I had lunch with him this week and just just so impressed. He's, I think, I think the thing that impresses me the most is that I know that he has the best interests of his clients at heart and he doesn't care if you're coming in and going, yeah, this is a mess. That's what, that's what he does. He gets people on the right path and that's what he can do for you. 314-889-0503 or check him out online at evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. His company is Evergreen Wealth Strategies and he is our presenting sponsor of our guest this week, Jay Williamson. The reason I uh, started off with the PGA Championship, because the morning of the final round, um, they weren't letting media out onto the range. Uh, and I don't know what happened. Finally, at the end, some guy was really protesting, and then security goes, okay, fine, because there were only, like, the final four groups were out there. And so I was like, oh, sweet, I'm going to go out there. And at that point, the final four groups, I mean, it was star-studded. Mm-hmm. And I wind up standing next to Al McKinnis, and it's just me and Al, member as well mm-hmm. there, and we're just BSing about golf, and obviously he's super into it too, and we're talking, and I, we're just, I mean, it's just totally golf nerd conversation. I said, you know, I just had, I played with, I had played golf with Marcus Allen the day before. Love, and that guy's really into mm-hmm. the game. And I said, I'm curious, especially with having one of the most signature shots in the history of the NHL, especially with the speed that he could strike the puck. I said, do you think, if you had grown up and only focused on golf as opposed to hockey, that you could have done this. Because I said I had Marcus Allen in, Marcus Allen sitting where you were, Jay. And I said, do you think if you would have not focused on football and he played a lot of baseball too, and you'd focus on golf as a young man, if you could have played golf? And Marcus thought that he could have. Al said, he goes, I don't think so. I think these guys are at another level. Now, Marcus is a hell of an athlete, and so maybe he could have. He goes, but I don't think I could take my skill set that I had growing up in Canada and then just automatically, if I would have focused on golf, been a golfer. 
which then leads me to you and your ability and whether or not you think people can learn the game or if it's just there's certain gifts genetically that people have that make them excel like some of these guys right now that we see bombing it great granted they're different equipment than what we were seeing even 20 years ago but that's what i'm curious about when guys start out uh are they just kind of like a guy can throw 95 miles an hour or he can't or is it something that somebody who's an athlete can fine-tune get to that level you know it's a really good question and i and i want what i want to say is that you don't have to be born to be a champion golfer i i want to say that but the way the game has trended and the fact that, in my opinion, those that govern the game, I don't want to mention any names, I think they've lost— You're talking about leadership or you're talking about players? Leadership. Okay. I think I think, I think the, the, the golf ball has exploded. I think the golf ball, more than anything, has changed the game. And I think that those that have watched the game haven't necessarily reacted quick enough. You know, they tried to outlaw, outlaw the long putter. I, I understand why they did that. I think that was more optics because they didn't want it on TV in the Olympics. Mm. But I, in my opinion, that isn't what has changed the game. Now, is it a bad oct- optic to watch a guy putt with a long putter? Yeah, probably. It's not the most athletic thing. But that isn't what has changed the game. What has changed the game is that better athletes are actually playing it now versus 15, 20 years ago, and a lot of that was because of Tiger Woods. But also the darn golf ball goes so far that a lot of the courts are really, they become obsolete. And so, you know, you've had to go back in and change them dramatically, add new tees, you know, do a lot of things. Where in reality, what needs to be done is the fairways need to be as wide as that water. You know, ask ask Corey Parkey how – you know how that changes <laughs> how that changes the game when you actually have to be more accurate versus how long you can actually hit the golf ball. So, you know, I think that the golf ball and and it's I think it's almost too late today. You know, the only way that something's going to happen is if the guys show up at Augusta National and when they register, they're handed a ball and that's the ball that they can use. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way that this is that that the golf ball is going to be regulated because I don't think that you can go in today and say, all right, now we, you know, we we're going to take the ball back to where it was, you know, ten years ago. Right. So that's a long-winded answer to basically say that the game has changed so much in the last ten years since actually about when I stopped playing on the regular tour that now it's definitely just a power game. And it's how far you can actually move it out there. It doesn't really matter how straight you hit it. And that was on full display at the Ryder Cup last year. Speaking of that again, in Paris, where the Europeans figured out how to hit the ball in the fairway, and the Americans didn't. Yeah, and there was some question. Were you questioning that at all, just going into it? I'm curious on that. That The the team selection, I realize these were the best players, and then you had some captain's picks that it wasn't necessarily ideal for the American team considering that course and then who the American roster was made up of as far as accuracy off the tee, and it could leave them vulnerable as we saw play out. So it wasn't necessarily a second guess. People were wondering that going in. Well, I'm an armchair quarterback. I didn't give it much thought before because, I, quite honestly, I had never been to that course in Paris. Mm. I didn't realize the makeup of it. But I would would say that it's a lot easier to make that statement afterwards than it was before. But there's no question that – that when you actually have to hit fairways 
it's a different game than trying to get up on the tee and hit it as far as you can. Yeah. The the thing that I wonder about with with players is how early one needs to start to really excel. And you would be an example of somebody who would be in the and the outlier on the other end, would you not? I mean, when well, did you really yeah, start? No, there's playing? no doubt. I mean, I, I, I'm an example, but I'm an aberration. Okay. And I don't think today that I could have done what I did because there's too much competition with with there's too much competition now with young players. So when did you start playing? Well, I played in you know I, I played growing up, but it was always just a, a hobby to right. maybe go play with my dad or you know whatever. So when you weren't playing in like you know these incredible tournaments, no, at five or no, six. no, no, I was I never played in the AGAGA event stuff. You know, I played, I played my freshman year at Burroughs, and we won the state title, and I had a good finish. But then the next year, I wanted to play baseball. That was my sport. That so so I didn't play anymore really in high school. And then I went to college and, you know, for some reason, and I'll still never really understand it, I wanted to play some golf in the fall. I mean, I was at, I was at Trinity, a Division three school. Golf is, like, pathetic up there. I mean, <laughs> you're playing in the worst weather you can even imagine <laughs> most of the spring. And, you know, they had a, a little bit of a fall season, and I played, I think, my senior year, and I actually played pretty well. And I'm like, well, what the heck? I don't want to go to law school. I don't. I majored in political science, which is the major of indecision. I didn't want to be an attorney. I didn't want to go to law school. I, 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 I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't really want to be in the trucking business right out of college, which my dad was in, and I wasn't asked, but that's another story. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I'll go to Florida, and I'll play golf for a living, and I'll, you know, and that's what I did, um, which is – you know, again, still to this day, I, I can't really explain it other than the fact that I'm an egomaniac in some respects. And I thought, well, I've been an athlete all my life. I'll just go play golf, you know, because because you can and you don't have to get drafted to go <laughs> do it that way. So what do you so you go down to Florida? Where do you go in Florida? I, I drove to Orlando and I worked at Grand Cypress. That was that was my club, which actually at the time was that was probably the biggest reason that I actually made it to a certain point is because I had a great place to play and practice and I could work on the range with my knickers on um, and park cars. And so I could make some money and I started playing mini tours. And I just, I mean, if there's one guy, I don't say this often, but if there's one guy that actually started at the very bottom, because that's really all golf is, is you're just on a ladder and the top guy, you know, Dustin Johnson's at the top of the ladder if there's one guy that started at the bottom, it might have been me because I didn't really have I didn't have the background that a lot of the guys had that I was competing against. Yeah. I mean, I was playing the Space Coast mini tours, trying to make a two hundred dollar check, which was the last check. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so and, and I did that a couple of times and I just kept you know what? If, if there's one thing about me, I don't hear no very well. And I am a fighter and I'll and I'll just I just kept getting better and then they tapped me on the shoulder after probably five years I had gotten through Q school the final stage I went through the first stage second stage third stage and I'll never forget it I got through the third stage at Greenleaf in Florida in Orlando it's got weeds on it now and I got the last spot and I remember I remember Clark Jones who became my agent at IMG tapped me on the shoulder and said yeah you get to go to Hawaii now and I'm like Hawaii I don't even how do I do that 
Yeah, I mean, I had no idea what I had. So done. how did that happen? I mean, are, are you going up the 18th fairway, going if I make this putt, I'm I'm going to get my car? Yeah, what, oh, yeah. What, so I, you knew I, that. I had to par the last hole, and at and that, you knew it was on the line. Oh, I knew. it was Oh on the my line. god! But but you know, at that point, you know, that was what year was it? 20, 90, 1995. Okay, the fall of nineteen ninety five. So you know, they didn't have the scoreboards, they didn't have the TV coverage that that you have now. Sure. So it it kind of pales in comparison, but the status and the results and and the consequence was still basically the same. And the reason that I was actually able to make it is because I looked at Q school as an opportunity to improve my life. I didn't look at it as God, if I don't make it through, I'm screwed. Yeah. You know, my, so my mindset allowed me to actually make it through. I didn't look at it as a threat to my life. I looked at it as an opportunity. And if I could ever get back to that point again, I'd probably be better because my Q school, my Q school results were actually pretty good, better than most. Now that's something that you don't really want to be proud of, but that was one of the defining characteristics of my career is that I was able to get through Q school, you know, probably five or six times. Well, we started the podcast in October of 2017. And when we did a gentleman by the name of Ryan Kelly, who has been the title sponsor of the radio show for seven or eight years at this point, said, hey, you're doing a podcast, I'm in. And he is a man of his word. He has been with me from the beginning. And without him, these interviews that uh, it seems like people are starting to pay attention to and questions from the audience and pick six, which probably has given you the highest return on investment in wagering history, uh, would not be possible. Um, and the thing is, you know, it'd be one thing if it's like, oh yeah, this guy is just kind of a guy who does a business and he just happens to spend a lot of money on marketing. But Ryan not only runs a great business here locally, but because he has, he's been able to grow his business. And so people know that they can count on him and people know that he's the guy who's going to save them the money. And then they also know if they're buying a home, he's going to be able to turn it around. They pride themselves on the ability to turn it around quickly. If you need to close quickly, that's what they're going to do for you at thehomeloanexpert.com. His name is Ryan Kelly. He's a first-class person who runs a very good business. The people who work with him, uh, a lot of them have been there for years. I always say that that is a good way to get an indication of uh, the quality of a company. Inevitably, people are going to move on. You really, If anything, you want people to eventually move on for the purpose of improving their lives if they're getting promotions, but they're working at a good company and then they get an opportunity to make more. But then you also have a number of people are just like, you know what? I love where I am and this person treats me well and I make a good living. I'm happy. I don't want to mess with happiness. You know, that's why Ryan's business, it speaks volumes. He has a number of people who've been with him for a long time and they appreciate the way that he treats them. And then that means you're going to get really good customer service because it's the people who've been doing it for a long time there at thehomeloanexpert.com. If you're buying a home, if you're refinancing, it's real simple. There's only one place you go. It's thehomeloanexpert.com. For those who aren't aware, Q School is how you get your PGA Tour card, but how many guys are going through the process and then how many guys are actually getting their PGA Tour cards out of all of the people. I mean, what kind of numbers? Are we well, it's at? changed. It, you know, unfortunately, the, the the tour changed it. Now there used to because be a of way. The web. To, pardon me. Because of the web, does that take some? Of yeah. Spots? So it used to be where they had a Q school for the regular tour, and if you didn't make it, then you went to the web.com and had. I always felt like, well, I'd I'd re, I'd like to have the opportunity to get on the regular tour through like three tournaments, three stages of Q school instead of a whole year sure. 
which is... Was that the Nike tour then? Was the Nike tour the web then? It was like the Nike tour, then the nationwide yeah. tour, then the web.com tour is where it is now. But now there's no Q school for the regular tour. The Q school is only to get on to the web.com okay. tour, and I think now they take 50 spots. Okay. Okay. But um, so so it's changed dramatically since since I went through. So that moment that you find out you get your card, I mean, is that, I mean, I would I would think that's one of the greatest moments ever. It was. I wasn't quite sure what I had done, though, um, because I didn't, I you know, I was so young, and it was like, all right, well, it, it was an adventure. It was just part of the journey. Are and you married was, at the time? Nope. I wasn't, didn't have kids and, um, you know, so it was all, it was, it was all me. And, uh, so you hop on a plane from Florida to, well, it, you know, there was, it was another, we had, you know, that was in the fall, okay. you know, so, you know, it was after, that was before the holidays. It was right after Thanksgiving usually. Okay. So I had a few weeks to kind of realize what I, what I had done. But I mean, th you know, those, those were the days where, you know, and, it's all about how you prepare for something and how you commit to it. And I was fully prepared and I was fully committed to to having that opportunity. And when you get there, is it are you feeling intimidated by the fact that oh, now you're God. playing a PGA Tour? I was like, I was scared to death. Really? Well, because I again, I didn't have the amateur career while I was where I you know most of these guys knew one another, especially the younger guys. They had played with one another, whether it was in college or during the summers. I didn't have any of that. So I was definitely um, uh, I, I was definitely the aberration more than the norm. So this is Kapalua. Is that your first event? No, that's the Tournament of Champions. Okay. So so it was always the Sony Open. Oh, the Sony. That's yeah. right. So okay. Sony, and Sony used to be the first event, and, and it kind of is still. Um, you know, so that was— uh, For a full field. Right, right. first full field event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so who, it, you're walking out on the practice range and seeing guys that you had been— Watching yeah. from afar, I mean, i.e. television. And I don't remember, you know, Wiley is the name of the course, Wiley Country Club. It went through some changes. So, you know, it, it was it was a great way to uh, to start the year. That's I would for imagine sure. so. And, and then I got so jaded that there, you know, later in my career, five, six, you know, seven years later, there were times when I actually didn't go to the first event of the year because I'm like, well, I don't need to go to that event now. You know, I live in Florida. I'll just go to the next event. So <laughs> it's amazing how things, you know, <laughs> you're so excited change. and now you're just yeah. like, ah, I don't need Yeah, to do exactly. So, so when you're out there with those guys, and this is the thing that, um, like right now, I'm curious, which is a weird question, but you probably have the answer. What is your official uh, handicap index at this moment? Do you know it? Well, I play to a plus three. Okay. If I'm if I'm playing, if you and I went out to play, I'd play to a plus three. Okay. So right. I don't, I don't, re I, I honestly... I don't understand the whole index thing because I've never had to really subscribe to it. I do have an index, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. All I know is what I think is fair, which isn't the way it's supposed to be, is I play to a plus three. Okay. I might be a plus five. I don't know. Okay. But if I was playing a lot, you know, th that's kind of where I am on, in my life right now. I'm not really sure who I am or what I am. Am I a professional golfer or am I not? You know, unfortunately, once you're a professional golfer, it's hard to become an amateur, especially as Tom O'Toole said. Well, we'll we'll discuss that later because I've made a certain amount of money where, you know, they try to protect those. They try to protect amateur golf. Yeah. yeah. Now, do I approach professional golf like I should to be a professional? No. And so you're talking about really the work you put in. You're talking about right. the work you put in. Right. Yeah. It's very difficult to live in St. Louis and be a professional golfer. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that was probably... You know, looking back, that was 
that was probably the biggest mistake that I made was moving back to St. Louis once my daughter was starting kindergarten. Cause that was, it was, you know, I, I made the d- decision, you know, family over golf, which it's what you're supposed to do. But the problem is it's so competitive that that probably wasn't the best decision that I could make for my career. Because for five but, or six months, you're not able to, well, you're just, it's just, you, it's just, it is what it is. And I never could get my career to a point where I could justify that, you know, or, or where I should have been able to justify that, even though I wouldn't have done anything differently. Cause I'm, I'm very, very blessed and fortunate to have the, the family that I do, but it's, and that's, what's so hard about golf. You have to be so selfish. It's such a self-absorbed game and, and lifestyle that it's really hard to do both. And I've tried to do both for a long time. So when you guys are making that decision to move from Florida back to St. Louis, are you factoring in? Are you are you in Orlando or are you uh, in a different we spot? Because right yeah. now it's like when I'm down in Jupiter for the Cardinals, it's like minus Spieth and Mickelson. I feel like everybody in the game I know. is living in Jupiter now. Well, you and know? that's probably where I should have gone, uh-huh. but I didn't. As yeah. my wife likes to use, she, <laughs> she reminds me often. <laughs> She's like, you, you didn't even like golf. You didn't want to practice. And we were living in Orlando, and we we're like, well, why do we live here? So that was basically So you why. come back for, like, is your wife from St. Louis? Yes. Too? Okay, so you yeah. came back for your your family, her yeah. family, the whole deal. And like I said, yeah, when my daughter, daughter you know, and then, and then we had a son that was born. So we just felt like it was a better place to raise kids, sure. which it is, certainly. Um, but it— might not have been the best thing for my for, for, for golf my, for my golf. The yeah. reason I ask about the handicap index is, I think for a number of people who are probably casual golfers who are listening to this, and they hear somebody's a scratch golfer, they're like, "Man, I wonder if that guy could play on the tour." And I had Mark Mulder on. Have you ever crossed paths with, oh, yeah. with Mulder? Sure. Okay, yeah. I mean, obviously a very good Heck player. player. Yeah. And we were obviously talking baseball, but we were talking golf probably more. Well, he likes golf. Oh my baseball. god, yeah. yeah, he does yeah. absolutely. And he goes, "I go, do you ever think about playing on the Champions Tour?" You know, he's, I think, 41 or two or something like that. And he goes, he goes, he just starts laughing. He goes, people have no idea. He goes, the only way I can draw a comparison to it is it's like a guy, if he came up from a ball to play in the major leagues, he might get a hit one out of 10, one out of 15 times. But there's such a difference between a ball and the major leagues. We're all playing professionally, but it's just two different worlds. He goes, I go out and he lives in Scottsdale. So he plays with Pat Perez, uh, he plays with all those guys. Yeah, so he's he at Whisper Rock, yeah. Yeah, so he knows those guys. He plays with them. He goes, they'll go out there. Perez will be barefoot, and he'll shoot 67, and he's not even really paying attention. He goes, and I'll shoot 70, and I'll think it's the greatest round of my life playing from the tees with them. And, and Well, I, I will tell you that he's he's being modest. He's a hell. Of, he's a hell of a player. And he played in a, what he played uh, the Safeway. Did he play whatever the one in Napa is? That's oh, like did the, he? Did he play? In yeah, that? he got an exemption since he's an Oakland A. They, they oh, really? I yeah. didn't realize. And he, did, and he was like, oh, "I'm not going to make the cut," and, and he played pretty well. He didn't make the cut though, did he? I don't remember. I don't, I don't think Gangster Pete. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he made the cut. I'd be surprised if he actually did make the cut. But he he's being modest when he's t- he has a chance to definitely play the championship. Ah, all right. If, How about if, that? if he wants to, if if he committed to it, he he. He has the ability to play the Champions Tour if he really wanted to. How about that? Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Now, I'm not trying to take away anything from the level of play on the Champions Tour, but again, he has the ability to play on that. So I've I've watched him play. He has the ability if he if yeah, he I feel wants like he wins that event in Tahoe. Yeah, Romo got him this year, but like right. every year, I feel like he 
he wins it. Either way, yeah. he he was he was. I mean, I know he finished ahead of Wes Bryan, for yeah. example, who won at Hilton Head last year, two years ago. But the reason I bring that up is the 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 level, the precision. Like when I was at the Honda this past year. And we just posted up at the 18th hole. And it was a day where you couldn't reach it in two. And so the guys were all about 150 yeah. or so out. And if the, the approach shot, and it didn't matter if it was a guy you know or a guy you don't know. And if the approach shot wasn't within 15 feet of the pin from about 150 out, wherever they were, kind of in the layup area, you'd go. What was wrong with that guy? Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and, and meanwhile, the average person, including a guy who would be a scratch or one or two, you know, sure, they're going to be on in regulation more often than not, but it's just at an, and then also then the putting. And it's just at a, it's something that I don't think there's an appreciation for just how great it is. So when you get on the tour, do you see the difference clearly between what you were doing on the mini tours and what you're seeing when you're out on the on the tour? Or is it something that that didn't really stand out? You to know, you? It, it, it's a good question. And, and what I would tell you is and where I think Mark Mulder would probably agree with me. There's a difference between golf, competitive golf, and professional golf. Two, three completely different games. And a lot of it, I would agree, is, 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 is mental. You know, they say mental all the time. But, you know, ask Mark Mulder to go pitch at Bush Stadium with no one in the stands and then have him go pitch with 10,000 people in the stands, and then have him go pitch with 50,000 people right. in the stands. I mean, that would be the difference. Yeah. And it's all how you control, how you're able to control yourself under the most extreme pressure. Some guys can do it and are good at it because of their mindset, and some guys can't do it. Now, where that, where that is, you know, where that, where that fine line is, I'm still trying to figure it out myself, quite honestly. So... It's, um, you know, being able to control yourself and control your emotions, again, maybe because it's not something that I did growing up or, or in college, but it's something that I had to figure out and learn, and I'm still trying to figure it out every time I'm playing in an event. So you have the emotional element, you have the, the mental element. Emotional, I would imagine, comes down to that pressure, and whether that be on the number first tee or you're in a sudden-death right. playoff, and then mental, which can certainly overlap, do you have certain things that certain exercises that you have to like, okay, I notice my heart rate's picking up here. I need to do this or that. Or is at this point, you're, that doesn't even come into play for you. No, it, it does. And I'm too stubborn or I'm, you know, I've been too, I always felt like in order to be a champion golfer and win at the highest level, your mechanics had to be to a point where it could overcome the nerves. So I worked hard on my fundamentals and my mechanics to get them to a point at some point in my career, I wasn't able, I don't know if it was, I, I personally, I think it was the financial component of, of what golf is. Um, I don't think that I was able to overcome the financial element of what golf represented. And for most people, even including myself, people are going, what do you mean by that? Because people, people, I think just go, oh my God, so-and-so cash for a bad, crappy week, but he still made a hundred grand this week. But it's not. That's not like net one hundred. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's something I would imagine you're making reference to. Well, here. yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's just in my career specifically, I was never able to get over the hump. And it's like a question that Iggy asked me. Well, what happened if? What would have? How would your career have been different? 
And maybe I don't mean to steal one oh, of no, your questions I, I, no, for but me. No, it's certainly something I'm looking forward to discussing. Yeah, uh, the, the two playoffs that you've yeah, played how, in. How would your career have been different if you won one of those events? The Hartford and John Deere. And obviously we'll never know because it didn't happen. But I think it would have made a significant difference, not necessarily in the way I played week to week, but the emotional state that I would have been that would have that would have come with that. And I never was able to get to that point and actually have some security. If you think about it, for the last 25 years of my life, I've been trying to start. I I've been forced to start at zero every year, yeah. which is that's a difficult thing. I really haven't had any security in golf. So those two events, it was the Hartford and the yeah. John Deere. What year are we talking? Uh, 2007 and 2008. Okay. And Hartford was first. Mm -hmm. Hunter Mahan. Yeah. So give me the, the lay of the land on what well, took place I mean, I there. Was, I, was, uh, I was 41 years old, and I actually went to school in Hartford. But yet when I was there, I had never played that golf course. I, if you would have told me that I when I was – for most of the time that I was in, in – at school that I'd be a professional golfer, I would have thought you were crazy. So that was a little bit weird. I got a sponsor's exemption. I played in a, in a, in a Nike event, nationwide tour event the week before in Minnesota over father's day weekend. And I remember finishing on Sunday thinking, I really just want to go home. It's father's day, but I've got to get on an airplane and go to Hartford to play in the Monday pro-am because I got a sponsor's exemption for the week. <laughs> And I had a bad finish in Minnesota. I finished like 11th and made like eight grand. And I'm like, I played my ass off. I made eight grand. And now I got to get on an airplane and go play a, a, a Monday pro-am because I got a sponsor's exemption. Lo and behold, I come down to the final shot with Hunter Mahan that week in an event that I got a sponsor's exemption in late in my career when I was thinking, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to go home. And, oh, by the way, that's where I went to school. Pretty bizarre circumstance. I mean, really, it was like a movie. I mean, if I would have won that event, it could have been like a movie, honestly, because of where I was in my career. I was definitely on – I was trending down and and the way it all transpired. And <laughs> I'll never forget it. So I finished second. I can't make an eight-footer twice. So I finished second and, you know – and I wasn't at that point a member of the tour in a, in a weird way because I didn't have status. That got me onto the money list, but it didn't get me into the next event, which was the event in Philadelphia. It, there, there were so many weird things that happened, you know, that week. But anyway, to make a long story short, I, you know, I finished second and it got me back on tour that year. And then two weeks later, we were in, in Toronto and playing in the Canadian Open, and that's the week that I fired my caddy after the after the first day uh, on the 16th hole, I fired my caddy. Now, now what's going on here? What, what, was it like a 10-cup situation? Uh, kind of. Well, really? <laughs> because at this point, you know, now my expectations have completely changed. Now I'm supposed to be playing well every week. My caddy and I, he still had, a, I think, a $60,000 check in his pocket from the week at Hartford. Because what did you win at Hartford? What did you make at Hartford? I don't remember. Okay. 600 grand, I think. So 10%, that's, yeah. that's the deal? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we're in Toronto. Uh, Glen Abbey, I think, was... No, it wasn't Glen Abbey. It was, it was another course. And on the 16th hole, it was a par five, water all down the left side. And I remember we're standing on the tee waiting for a group in front of us, par five group out in front of us. And on the previous hole, I hit my shot over the green, 
and we and I ended up making a bogey. And as we're walking down to the 16th green, 16th tee, my caddy and I are barking at one another. You know, I'm saying, well, the wind was this, and he's saying, no, the wind was that, and we're, you know, stop, you know, whatever. So then we're standing on the 16th tee, and I'm like, all right, Mike, let's, you know, we got to focus there. And he kept barking at me, and I saw him over there talking to the other caddies, and I walked over to him. I said, you're done. You're fired. Get your shit and get out of here. How about that? And so he, unbeknownst to me, I'm actually in the crowd looking for another caddy. <laughs> he's in my bag, and he takes all my balls and throws them into the water. I didn't even know that he had oh done it. Oh, my God. And I'm, I'm holding on to the ball that I'm playing. So at this point, he throws all my balls into the water, getting his keys and stuff out of my bag because I basically fired him on the spot. And so it was pretty funny. I didn't know that until like a year later. So had you gone in the water on the left side on that part, I five, would have had to walk in myself, <laughs> which would have been classic. But anyway, I mean, Jim Rome was all over. The, oh, my God. This was like this was big news because caddies don't get caddies and players don't fight, you know. But you're in you're in hockey world. They they loved it. They thought it was like so funny. When it comes to insurance, I think a lot of people go, "Yeah, I got a guy," and you know, I don't know. I I know I pay for my home insurance, and it's built into my mortgage, and I know that I pay my auto insurance, and it pops up once every six months. And yeah, I guess we have some life insurance. I don't know. I have too much going on. I don't really I don't really know what I have, and I and I never really hear from my person, and so whatever. I don't care. I'm I'm covered. That's what I know, or at least that's what you think. And that's the case that I had, actually, when it came to disability insurance. Uh, thought I was covered. Really did. I mean, because I'm thinking to myself, not only home and auto, but also for uh, the, uh, like, inside STL, for example, with uh, media liability insurance. You know, all these different things that you wind up, you just keep getting bills. You're like, well, I got to be covered because I'm filling out this and that. And then I meet with James Carlton because I decided, you know what, I wasn't really happy with where I was. Let me see if there is a difference here because I'm hearing great things. And sure enough, there was so much so that I switched to James Carlton. And then I realized, oh, I don't have disability insurance. That's going to be a problem. That's going to be a real problem. And uh, James took care of it quick, fast, in a hurry. Uh, James said, hey, are you aware of the State Farm uh, Drive Safe and Save app? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I get this little beacon, like a little tiny box, put it in my glove compartment. And now I've already saved like $46.50 or something on my car insurance this month just by having this thing in my car. Uh, it's just, it's you know, it, you might go, yeah, those are minor things. But they add up, and it also means somebody's paying attention for you. The last thing you want is to be in a spot where you think you're covered, and then something happens, and you find out you're not covered. You're already in a bad spot if you're having to call your insurance as it is, no matter what the circumstances. But then you find out you're not covered. Oh, my gosh. 314-961-4800 is the number you need to call. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. It's James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agency. Reps for Groves. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. So was so, there a video of this exchange? Can I go YouTube there, no, this? No, there was no video, but, man, Jim Rome was, was had all a good time over with it. And Elkington, <laughs> Elkington came to my defense because, basically, it was the whole situation. And and I, I love my caddies. I, I really do. And Mike, who I fired, we still have a relationship. Well, I, don't, I haven't seen him for a while, but, you know, we were able to patch things up. But it was like it's the whole thing about, you know, showing up on time, staying up with your player, and shutting up. Showing up, staying up, and shutting up. And – he 
you know, he just kept coming back at me. And at that point, I was like, God. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know? So, anyway, it was funny. I, I funny story. The, the, the week before, before the, the caddy firing in Toronto, you said you had two eight-footers to win. So, are yeah. you in the final group with Hunter? Oh, yeah. You're, so, you're in the final group. Yeah, and we, and we had, like, the, a four- or five-shot lead over the third-place guy. So, so, you know it's you, too. Standing on the 16th tee, that par three, I knew pretty much that one of us was going to win. And at that point, I think I had a shot lead. Okay. And where he actually really won the tournament was on 17 because he didn't have a very good tee shot. He hit it in the bunker. Then he laid it up because he didn't have a good lie. And he hit his third shot over the green in a re in a precarious spot. And somehow he was able to get it up and down. Wow. wow. And I hit a good putt on 17, didn't make it. But if he makes, if he makes double on 17... I would have won that tournament. Wow. And then, you know, we both hit it in there close in regulation on 18. He, I, I had a seven-footer, eight-footer, whatever. I didn't make it, and he had like a five-footer, and he made his. To force the playoff. To force the playoff. And then we hit basically the identical shots in there again in the playoff. And, you know, one of these days I'll sit down and watch that again with my kids. You have not watched it since? Uh, no, I can't. I, I can't sit there and watch it. Right. Um, and there's probably video. I mean, there's, I oh, could sure. probably watch Absolutely. the whole damn thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I'm curious what, what's, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the closest thing I've got are like member guest tournaments, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, and still though people love it, guys love it. Cause it's like, it's yeah. close. We can get to competition. Right. You're putting to win your first a million dollars. Yeah. So and that's a trip what it was. to the masters. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So can you picture what's going on in your mind? Can you still picture that scene? Both oh, in the yeah, I, and I can feel it. I, so what, I, I, so I what are you thinking? It. What are you feeling? Do you remember, did it feel differently than other putts? Yeah, I was nervous. Sure. I, I remember I had a pounding headache, you know, probably, pounding headache. Yeah. Probably. Would you get nervous from like, you get a headache from nerves? I, I, I didn't usually, but for but some reason one? I did in, in this one. I mean, you know, um, I, uh, and I, I was excited, but I was nervous and I felt if I could have just, obviously if you make the putt, you win. And, uh, you know, I just, I just didn't, ma I didn't make either one of them. And it was almost the identical putt. Pull it, push it short, long. No, I missed them. I missed, I missed them both low. Wow. Um, you know, so, but I, you know, I, I don't have any regrets. I mean, certainly I would have loved to have won cause it probably would have changed my career, but I don't have any regrets on my career because I think I made 180 cuts, and I probably shouldn't have made one. So that's what I always fall back on. Do I wish I would have won? Absolutely. But it didn't happen, no. you know, and and, I, and it wasn't for a lack of trying. I know what, that for a fact. Was that one tougher than the one in 07? Yeah, that was 07, 08. 08, I'm sorry. 08, 08 was, was John Deere. John Deere. Yeah. And, and it, was it a three-man playoff? Yeah, so John Deere had its own, you know, I mean, every every – Every everybody has a story. So the John Deere one, I I wasn't having a very good year. I was staying at the at the hotel, at the airport. My kids drove up, and fam, my wife and kids drove up on like Friday, and right outside my window, was the John Deere plane, that would take, the players to the British Open, and I'm thinking, God, it'd be nice to be on that plane. But at that point, I wasn't in the British Open. I didn't even try to qualify for the British Open. And this was on, like, Friday. So Saturday I go out, and I shoot some ridiculous score. I think I shot 62 on Saturday to get into position. Maybe 61. It was either 62 or 61. And then Sunday, you know, I was really nervous. I, 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 Were you in the final group again? 
I don't think I was in the final group. Well, maybe I was because I was playing with Kenny Perry. So maybe I was in the final group. But anyway. Kenny Perry know, was on fire at that yeah, time, wasn't he? Yeah. And I remember he chunked a chip on the last hole, and he still had to make like a four-footer to get in the to tie me, and he did. But I, there were so many crazy things that happened that week. Who else my, was in the playoff? Uh, Brad Anamanis okay. from Rhode Island. But I'll, I'll never forget, you know, my, my daughter, like, was – having a uh she was having like migraines and throwing up on the golf course during the final round my my son george who was just he was probably like two years old he was going to the bathroom outside the ropes i mean there was just so much there was so much shit going on <laughs> and and i remember thinking all right i'm in a playoff i mean i was nervous and the problem with the playoff there was that 18th hole was a really difficult hole yeah. and i didn't hit a great tee shot and i tried to go for the green hit it in the water and I was done. And it, like, ended so fast. I didn't even feel like I had a ch – it's kind of like when you get in a fight and you get punched right in the jaw and you don't, you don't, you're not even able to fight. Yeah. You know, it was so anticlimactic. So, but the good thing is I got a chance because Kenny Perry won, and he elected not to go to the British Open. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll go. And I won a scorecard playoff with Brad Anamonis because I had the lowest score on Sunday, I guess. I, my score was better than his, so I got to go to the British Open, and he was pissed because he's like, well, you didn't even try to qualify. I'm like, well, I, I, you know, I don't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> but I just happened to have my passport in my in my briefcase, which I never traveled with my passport. And you happened to have it. And I got to go on that airplane that was sitting outside my window straight to the British Open. I had no clothes. I had I had nothing. I was not prepared. To go to the British Open. Where was it that year? It was Royal Birkdale. It was the year that Greg Norman won. Or no, the year that Greg Norman played real well with Patrick Harrington. Harrington won. Maybe yeah. that's when, uh, who missed it? Garcia missed a putt or something like that, right? <sighs> I feel like they always showed that one last year after he won the Masters. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but anyway, it was it was crazy, you know. And then my kids are all there and my wife. And they had to get, we were like going to go on vacation the next week. They had to get in the car and drive back home, you know. And I got on the airplane. <laughs> and my caddy didn't have his, his passport, so he didn't get to go. So... Um, that, that was, that was a, how many unique. majors did you play in? I think I played in five. Okay. And three, which? three us opens. And then I, actually four, I, I say that I played in a PGA championship. I was exempt for the one that Sean McKeel won in, uh, in Rochester, but I, I had back problems and I had to withdraw. Oh, okay. How, what's the best you've done in a major? Did you make it? Uh, you know, Burkdale actually British Open. I played really well there. I think I finished like thirtieth, but it should have wow. been better. Wow! And then I I played well at Olympia Fields in uh in Chicago, way the year that Jim Furyk won. Gosh. Oh, the, the U.S. Open, two thousand four, yeah. three or was four. that when it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just it, remember like some adult star ran out in the ropes, and these are the <laughs> kinds of things that I remember. <laughs> but I do remember it was on the seventy second hole. That's so funny. So, uh, so now. You played in the U.S. Senior Open yep. last year. You had to qualify for two that. Years, two, two years ago. ago. I'm sorry. Salem at, in Boston. Yeah. And uh, what was that experience like? Did that get the fire going? It did. It did and it didn't. You know, I didn't play great. Um, you know, traveling to Boston was, you know, we had, I think we had three hotel rooms, two or three hotel rooms. You know, it was just. The logistics of it, you know, it just brought back the memories of the logistics of traveling, which are just like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of uptight, you know, I, I'm, 
I want things to work the right way. And uh, it was just. And I can put you on tilt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm there trying to, you know, and then I didn't play well. So, again, I can always come so up with an excuse, things, sure. you know. Well, these guys now, it's like when they played Belle Reve. You know, I mean, they're getting, they're renting houses. Oh, I know. And now, now I know it's not everybody. I'm talking about like the top 20 right. or so players in the world. And then a lot of these guys are like young guys and they turn well, it into like well, some that, frat house. And... Yeah, that's the story that I, I wanted to tell. You know, Brooks Kepka, you know, getting back to the logistics of the inside at Bell Reeve. I mean, Brooks Kepka never even went into the, the eating room, you know, because he's got a chef. He was eating, <laughs> he was eating breakfast and lunch and dinner. At the rented house. And him and Dustin Johnson were working out at, like, the Golds in, like, Maryland Heights. You know, people would see him in the morning, and they recognized Dustin Johnson, but they didn't recognize no. Kepka, which was funny. He's the two-time U.S. Yeah, Open. I know. <laughs> and, and, yeah, so it, the logistics of playing professional golf, I mean, if you you got to do it the right way. Because if you're not, someone else is, I can yeah. promise you. Yeah. And when you say the right way, or I go, oh, that means you're just, like, a range rat. But what else is there that you wouldn't, you well, think of the right Well, first of all, way. you can't be worried about the financial implication mm -hmm. of how you're playing. You just can't because, you know, Brooks Kepka wasn't thinking that, you know, he was thinking of winning trophies. And Tiger is not thinking about the financial <laughs> part of it. He's right. thinking of how many trophies can I win? Mm -hmm. You know, so the financial aspect is, you know, can't be something that you're concerned with. Um, and that's something that I was for most of my career, if not yeah. all of it. Um, and then you have to travel the right way. You know, I probably traveled four or five times private and most of those guys are doing that now. And that yeah. takes so much of the stress out of, out yeah. of the deal, but you got to get to a certain level to, to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, most of those top players, that's the way they're. Oh, they're, absolutely. They're absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like they're all flying together. I guess. They uh, well, the up, younger guys. Yeah. yeah. The younger guys. Yeah. What about the working out? Cause like McElroy caught, caught a lot of hell for that. Like I've seen videos of him deadlifting, like. 400 pounds and you know he's about my size yeah, i'm not it, it, sure why he's really doing that i don't think it really helps his golf i mean he hits far enough he's not gonna hit it right farther. i don't know what that's about what do you think on that like whether it be yoga whether it be agility drills, well you gotta lifting, do something right you gotta do something there's no question that you know if you watch golf today you don't see many guys that are out of shape yeah you just you just don't see it yeah it's so Period. rare it's like duffner's kind of like a hero to the everyman just yeah. because he is like the one dude you know right and you know tim heron's a buddy of mine, you know, um, but you just don't see Lumpy. Uh, you don't see guys like Lumpy out there. Yeah, I mean, you see anymore. guys like Kepka and right. Johnson. I mean, Kepka looks Pe like he could play for the Bears. Yeah, like, you for know, for real. Like, he came right. walking off the range when I was sitting yeah. there with McKinnis, and I'm yeah. just like, this dude, you know. Yeah, and, and Gary Woodland. I don't know if you watched oh, any yeah, golf sure. he was the in the, He was in the group of Tiger on uh, yeah. that Sunday. Yeah, Gary Woodland's. And know, with just like the lowest of trajectory. Right. I mean, just like, you know, and that benefits him when he's dealing with wins. He's going to. But again, you know, golf has become an athletic game, certainly, which which is good, you know. Um, but I don't know, getting back to your question, I don't know if Rory needs to be out there deadlifting. deadlifting power. I mean, right. he, put it this way he's not going to be able to do that for much longer. He's going to hurt himself. Yeah. You know, what is your appetite right now personally to play? Like, I can't wait to get to Florida and play, and I'll be, like, fired up if I break 80. You know? I mean, what what is your appetite? Like, when you're sitting in St. Louis and it looks like this and people are excited when it's 55 degrees. I've, I've tried to really uh, – I've tried to not trick myself, but I've really tried to suppress my enthusiasm for golf when I'm in St. Louis. Because I, I am not a St. Louis dormant, grass, wet, 
I'm not one of those guys that plays. I do not. I I, well, I shut it down, man. I I can't. In fact, I went out and hit balls yesterday on the on the mat, you know, at Bell Reve, and it was 55 degrees. But I really had no desire to play. Although even when I'm in Florida, I don't have to play. I love to go to the range. So do I. I love to go to the range, uh, and I love to do certain things. You know, it's funny. My my son, he's like, well, let's just go play. And I'm like, well, I don't. Playing sometimes for me is boring. You know, I'd rather hit balls and work on certain things. You know, I competitive again, competitive golf. I don't get bored when I'm playing competitive golf. I do get bored occasionally on the 13th, 14th, 15th holes when I'm playing for fun. Just for the hell of it. Right. Now, if I was gambling, then it'd be a different story. Yeah, well, I'm curious. What's your game of choice? I wish that I gambled more. Really? You what's know? your game of choice? I mean, I like to play Wolf. I was about to say, yeah. my guess is going to yeah. be Wolf. I like I'm Wolf. And I, wolf. And, and I like I like to, if if I if there's foursome, I like to, you know, have partners. Would you play, like, the, the question that some guys on the tour get asked is, what like, what they're throwing around on practice rounds. Would you be participating in this? You know, I was in never in the Tom Pernice, uh, VJ Singh game. You oh, know, is that a famous game? Because now it's oh, like yeah. Mickelson, like D-Gen's out and plays yeah. like asinine. Yeah. Phyllis. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> you know, VJ and, and Pernice and uh, a guy named Garrett Willis always had a, you know, they were playing $500, you know, $1,000. And I, I just never, I should have done it because really at the end of the day, that's what golf is. Yeah. It's legalized gambling. Yeah. Yeah. It's all it is. And the better you get, the more you play for other people's money. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that is true. And 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 it's pure capitalism. If if our world was run more like professional golf, you know, it, we'd probably we wouldn't have as much debt, certainly. Um, but it is it is pure capitalism, um, probably too much so. Um, but there's not a whole lot of socialism in golf. No, you you are rewarded by your performance and how and how you perform. So, you know, I should have gambled more when I was playing because it would have made me a better player. In fact, there were a couple of guys that I played with, you know, before I started playing, and I loved to gamble because I could actually beat them, and I won some money, <laughs> you know? Um, I could pay for that travel. Yeah, exactly. But gambling at the highest level, I should have done more of it, quite honestly. For those who are just starting out now, I have a one-year-old son, and I hope he loves the game. If he doesn't, I certainly won't force it on him. If he does, great. Um, what would you say to, or even somebody like me, like an eight handicap? What you're better you, than most. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say, like? Because I think, yeah, I used to just go to the range and I go get out my seven iron, I'd hit that, and then I just like everybody else hit my driver, do that crap. But in reality, the guys who are the best. You know, at least it seems to me, I'm talking about best amateurs, not even, you know, the stuff that you were around and, and were a part of. They're wizards around the greens. That's oh, what, there's no question. That's, you know, it's like I'm hoping to get to 30 putts. And then I saw, I don't know who it was. Was it that Paul Casey, like one in, uh, in Tampa, and he had like 22 putts or something right. for the round. You're just going, oh, my right. God. Right. What was your strength and what would you recommend to, like, kids or parents with kids to, to focus on? To get them to enjoy it, number one, but also to be better. Yeah, I, I worry about golf. I, I worry about the future of golf. Really? Yeah, I do. Because, A, it, it's too expensive still. B, it takes too long. C, kids don't want to play because it takes too long. And they just want to be on their phones. Um, I, I'm not sure. I... I I'd be real anxious. I'm real anxious to see what's going to happen in the next decade of, of golf. Huh. A lot of people appreciate local in St. Louis. So many people grow up here. So many people wind up living here. 
And uh, Mike Judy presents dot com is somebody who is local, somebody who is independent and somebody who prides themselves on making sure that the best shows get to St. Louis on their way up the ladder in the music industry. And that is what he has done. Uh, He's online at Mike Judy presents dot com. I'm looking at the website right now. And man, he has some good shows coming to St. Louis and playing venues where you're going to get to see some people who are on their way to a spot where you're never going to be able to see them in those kind of venues again because they're going to be playing much bigger venues. You can check it out for yourself at MikeJudyPresents.com. Mike Judy, a local independent promoter. Check out his work. Mike Judy Presents at MikeJudyPresents.com. Now, see, I'm of the opinion, but this is interesting, you're actually in the arena. Well, not, I mean, I am, but I'm not. Yeah, but I mean, you've been there the very least and still that I'm like, it must be a great thing for the game of golf that you have these young charismatic, especially most of them are American players who are likable forces in the game that I would think that will bring, you know, it's like cool to like Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas. There's no question. I mean, you know, my big boys like DJ and my kids, my kids loved Ricky Fowler. If, if they were going to watch me or Ricky Fowler, when we were playing, they were going to choose Ricky every time, (laughs) you know, I was chopped liver, but, um, you know, the, again, it's, it takes too long. I'm a big and, – and I wasn't always the fastest player early in my career. In fact, I had a tendency to be known as a slow player. It's because I had to put too much into the computer, I think, to hit a shot. <laughs> I am – I'm a big fan. I, I'm not a big fan of the rules changes for 2019. I think they're ridiculous. You're not a big fan of the knee-high drop? The, the, that looks – I mean, it's embarrassing. It's, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you might leave, as well place it at that point. Right, and leaving the – well, that's what they're trying to get away from. Yeah. That's What, guys just placing it? Yeah, they, don't they didn't want that to happen. And and then, you know, the, leaving the flag stick in is ridiculous. Tapping down spike marks. You I mean, a big fan of DeChambeauzek? What was he doing? Oh, he leaves the even when he's like ten feet away, he leaves the stick in. Oh, was he doing that? Yeah, I heard. So, yeah, I'm not sure why he's. You know, again, it's just it's just I, I'm I'm a traditionalist. I don't think that that needed to happen, but I am a big fan of a shot clock or something in yeah. the game. I know that in on the European tour they had a couple of events where they you know where they had a shot clock. Literally, you if you didn't hit the shot in a certain period of time there was a consequence. Now what that consequence is still needs to probably be negotiated, but I do think the game somehow needs to get faster. I'm a big proponent of these like golf boards for, for kids that can basically surf down the fairway in these golf boards. Nobody wants to get a golf bag on their shoulder and just go walk 18 holes. I mean, that's such an old school thing. I mean, I hate to say it more kids should probably do it, but the problem is no kids don't want to be out there for four and a half hours, especially in the heat. So give them an opportunity to actually enjoy the game because they're probably not mature enough mentally to appreciate, you know, walking down the fairway for four and a half hours. Right. They'll get there probably at some point, but I don't know, you know, 18 holes, probably too many, you know, Nicholas is like 12 or 14. I probably agree with that some, somewhere in there. Until Cut it back to 12, yeah, play 14, six really. and six. You know, wow. you're done in, in three hours. Wow. You know, that's that's the one the one thing about the XFL that I think they have a chance. They're going to try to make the games two hours, yeah. not three and a half. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's know? like today we're recording this interview on the day of Alabama and Clemson playing for the national I mean, championship. I'm going to play for four hours. Tonight. That's what I said. I set the over under. The yeah. game will end at 11:01 p.m. And of course, that's Central Time. If you're on right. the East Coast, I mean, doesn't you know, make any after sense. midnight. It's like I don't even think I got to get up early to do the radio show. I'm probably going to DVR it and wake up and watch the second half. You know? Well, I remember reading an article in the Wall Street Journal. You can actually fly from L.A. to New York in a shorter period of time than than some of these football games. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. That's a good deal. It, it's crazy. Hey, uh, a couple final thoughts. You were around Tiger at Bell Reeve but you certainly are around him to an extent, of course, when you were out, out there. Uh, and some of these names and the interactions, and people are always curious what this person's really like. Like my mom hears one story about Phil Mickelson. She's like, I don't cheer for him. And it's like always a thing my dad like just likes to jabber about Mickelson because it gets her going, you know? Right. People like players. Some of it can just be from like one brief exchange where a player decided to sign an autograph and didn't. My perception is that, like I just said, there are a lot of these young, charismatic Americans, 20s, 30s, whatever the case might be, and that's attracting some younger people to the game. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think what, it is. What was, your, what was your interactions? Who do you think was really great to be around when you were out there? Who were you kind of like, oh, this guy? Uh, you know, Tiger um, Tiger was always a guy that, you know, before he kind of went off the rails, was, was very respectful, respected guys that were grinding at the game. And then when he went off the rails, you know, he wanted to be with Barkley and guys. And Jordan. Jordan and that probably wasn't the best thing for his attitude. And then I think he's come back again where he, you know, where he respects guys. Um, you know, Phil, I, I never really had much interaction with, with, with Phil. I thought Phil was somewhat arrogant, but he had a right to be. But it's you know? so weird because I think the perception of him, it's that smile and the thumbs up as he walks around. I know. I know. <laughs> but a, so many guys who are out there are like, you know, the gig jam thing. God, I'm good. Just right. ask me that whole yeah, thing, you know. Yeah. You know, Jordan Spieth, disappointed me a little bit you know with I, I think at Bell Reef he didn't get great feedback you know I think as I, far as his interaction around yeah, people at I, Bell Reef and I, I just think his expectations have gotten have gotten out ahead of him a little See, bit I loved him initially right. and I'm like god he kind of seems like he's yeah. whining a yeah, lot yeah he's the, a little too much yeah. a little too much but I think hey listen when you when you think you're great and you're not living up to the standards people react in different right. ways you know, I get mad, you know, and and I might even be nicer to other people on the outside. He, like, looked like he was maybe whining a little bit too much. But, you know, again, it's it's easy to throw stones. And when you're under that microscope, and I can't even imagine playing professionally in today's day and age with social media. Oh, I mean, it's any it, sport. It, Forget it, about it. it. Total. I mean, this, this situation yesterday when the NFL, I mean, that guy will never be the same. Oh, and, Cody Parkey. Yeah, Bears, I mean, yeah. just getting hammered. And I don't know what it would be like. I can't really answer what it's like today playing in a major championship and competing and being, you know, under that microscope because it's completely different than when I played, you know, a decade or so ago. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of hard for me to believe that it's been that long, <laughs> you know. Well, I uh, I have loved hearing your story. I really love it. I love it. And I hope you're out there playing whenever. I'd, I'd love to just see it. I've gotten a chance to play with uh, – Skip Berkmeyer here, Reese. I assume you. Uh, oh, I you, think Skip's a great guy. Yeah, and a really good player. Oh too. my god! And I'm just yeah. like to be able to see, just like the, yeah. the consistency is the thing that I'm yeah. in awe of. Like that's probably something that you would say is. Well, I, you know, I think, um, you know, I haven't announced this uh, very much, but I, I'm, I've made, you know, I've done some soul searching over the holidays, and I, I'm going to really try to commit to the Champions Tour for the year. I'm 51 wow. years old. We have breaking news. Yeah, it is breaking news, I guess. I'll be 52, ironically, the first week of the year this year. And I feel like with the shape that I'm in, I've got two to three more years of being able to play professionally. 
Now, I don't know if I'll be able to commit 100%. I haven't been able to do that for a long time. It's it Like I said, it's... Family's I'm, in a different spot though now. I'm, different spot, but it's still a huge, selfish endeavor. And I just don't know if I can self-absorb myself in it the way that I need to in order to be successful. And so when you say self-absorb yourself into it and you're picturing doing this and playing on the Champions Tour, which is awesome, so now I'll have a reason to be fired up to watch the Champions Tour what do you picture your days being like? And I'm not talking about your, your weekends. I'm talking about, well, I mean, all about me. Yeah. And that's a really hard how, thing for how, me to Mrs. do. Feel? Uh, you know, I think, sh I, I don't know. I haven't really, we haven't talked, you know, a great deal about it. I think she kind of laughs at me when I say that. <laughs> um, it's like my wife. Yeah. I'm going to play in the world series of poker. Oh, it'll be great. <laughs> yeah. It'll be great. Have fun. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I mean, <laughs> I think, honestly, I think she'd like to see me play. Um, and I know my kids would like it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the regrets I have is that my career happened when my kids were so young that they don't really remember much of it. Um, so, you know, they really, I think, enjoyed the experience when I played in Boston uh, a couple of years ago. And then my son came down and watched me play last year in Boca mm -hmm. when I qualified. So, you know, what the heck? I'm still, you know, I definitely feel father time pulling at me but do you, do you I, actually feel can you yeah feel yeah, yeah i'm you know i mean yeah i don't feel as good as i did yesterday um but i think that i've got a couple years where i you know my game's still pretty good in a weird way and that's what that's what allows me to think that i can if i can commit to it and get over the nerves i think i might have a chance oh, man. so as long as i feel like i have a chance i have the type of personality where i'm going to give it a go well there are some guys who you know had whatever nondescript i guess for yeah. lack of a better term pga tour careers who then get on the right. champions and start crushing it scott yeah. mccarran would be an example scott of a guy. A, he's a good friend of mine um but make no mistake it's all about scott <laughs> and he's figured that out and it works for him and he loves golf he wants to play golf every day if you can. How do you feel? Do you uh, like the idea of playing golf every day? I don't really want to play every day, but I can play a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I feel like I'm all over it. But you know that what we're thinking, we're like, oh, this will be fun. We'll go out there and, yeah. you know, maybe I'll break 80 and it'll be great. And you're like, you have no idea how long I'm going to be on the range and how long I'll be chipping and how long I'll yeah. be putting. And then I'll get it to go out yeah, there Yeah, well, you miss, you miss one of your son's birthdays. And then it's like, man, is this really worth is it? it? Worth you it? miss yeah. a cut. How old are your kids now? Uh, my daughter's 19, and then my boys are 16 and 13. Okay. All right. So, you know, and my daughter was a senior in high school when I was turning 50, and I just didn't want to miss that year. Yeah. You know, so it's not that I want to miss anything, but I kind of owe it, you know, God put me on this earth for a reason. I'm still trying to figure that out what exactly that is, <laughs> but I know that he gave me a golf talent at some point level oh, you better believe so it. i don't want to really waste it if i still have an opportunity to play when you th what, what would make it worth it if you won an event or is it bigger than that you know i haven't really thought about that I, I i do believe that i if i can get out there and get some status and get my mind right i think that i can win out there mm -hmm. i really do with with the way i i can play now um you know but it's it's getting to a point where you're comfortable in your surroundings and i just haven't been out there enough playing like I said, professional golf, not competitive golf, but professional golf. I haven't been playing enough of it in the last, you know, five or seven years, yeah. ten years. Well, I am looking forward to this.
This is great. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I, I, it, it's, You're it's, giving it a run, man. you got to shoot well, the score. So well, I, I appreciate you giving me a forum to share my stories. I yeah. mean, I hope it's not too selfish. And, well, I'm know. asking all the questions. I want to no, know because I'm always yeah. curious about this stuff. You well, know? I, don't, I don't get to share these very often. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I do feel very fortunate to be able to play golf for a living for as long as I did. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see what happens. Well, thanks for the time. I've enjoyed it, Jay. And uh, best of luck this year out there. Thank you, Tim. All right. All cool. Right. So there it is. Jay Williamson with us here on the Tim McKernan Show, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Joining us in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios and breaking some news. I had no idea that he was even considering going back to playing golf full-time on the Champions Tour. And I love that. Like, that's now, now I'll be invested in watching how he does um, on the Champions Tour. And honestly, I would be betting on him. He's, he's first off, he's really, really good. And secondly, you know, he had the success that he had, but he was never really able to commit like he talked about. You know, I brought up Scott McCarron, and I realize even if you're a golf fan, that name might not really resonate with you. But Scott McCarron's a guy who had a, you know, a, 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 he's on the PGA Tour, so he's obviously a great player, but it's not like he had a lot of success on the PGA Tour. And then he goes to the Champions Tour, and he's crushing it. And Jay points out it's not like people then go, oh, well, that's because he's not playing against, you know, Tiger and Phil and the time Ernie Els was killing on the PJ tour. Uh, it's because Scott just works on his game and a lot of other players as they grow older. Oh yeah. You know what? It was fun. It was great, but you know, I've got other interests now. I'm not going to spend time working on it. Scott works on it and Scott's having success. And so Jay is like, I now with my kids getting older, I now want to give it a real run and commit to practicing. And so that's what he's going to do. So I can't wait to see what winds up happening now that he's going to play. And I just love hearing, you know, the candor of, you know, the near misses. I mean, that's two PGA Tour wins that were sitting there for him. Uh, and he lost in playoffs. And, you know, it's not like you go into the interview and goes, yeah, you know, I just don't really want to talk about him. He'll go through him and give his perspective. Uh, and then also, you know, just the honesty when he looks back on what he did and what he could have done and now what he wants to do. I just, I love anytime somebody who's reached the level he reached and is comfortable enough and confident enough to give their assessment. Plus, uh, hearing uh, his thoughts on being in the, the shot when Tiger walked across the bridge at uh, Belle Reve during the PGA and then the famous shot where Brooks Kepka's girlfriend uh, looks enamored with Tiger, and it became a meme, and I'm sure 99% of the people were looking uh, at that shot as it made its way around social media and go, who's the guy in the background? Well, it's Jay Williamson, who was hoping like hell to not be in the background, but alas, there he was. Good guy, uh, really liked talking with him, could have gone on uh, much longer just because I could nerd out on golf all day long, but I'm really pulling for him here in 2019 and appreciate the conversation. Thank you to all of the people who make it possible. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Thank you to Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at evergreenstl.com. Thank you to James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency online at carltoninsurance.net. Thank you to Mike Judy of mikejudypresents.com. And, of course, the Landoff family. Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet. They're online at Landoff.com. You can find them at Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth exit. There's nowhere else that I would go to get a car but Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet. And, yeah, 
you say, well, Tim, they're sponsoring your show. That's a very fair observation. But here's the thing. As I've gotten to know the Landoff family over the last year, year and a half, it's just a good group of people. I get together with uh, John and get together for lunch, uh, you know, I don't know, once every couple of months or so. And, and his sons come in on TMA and we just talk it over. And I just really have, have come to appreciate them. And then when I'm out at the dealership, how helpful they are. They've helped some of our listeners, some of our staff with things that have nothing. They're not even Landoff cars and they're helping out. It's just the way that you, you know, you just want to know that you're dealing with good people and people who are going to do the right thing. And that's what you have with Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. So if you're in the market to buy a car, whether it be new or pre-owned, make sure you're doing business with Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exeter online at Landoff.com. Uh, or if you need to get your car serviced, go to Johnny Landoff Chevrolet uh, at Landoff.com or Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exeter. That's where you'll find Johnny Landoff. Chevrolet. Always grateful for the listeners who spend time with me here on these conversations and submit questions and feedback at Tima Kernan at InsideSTL.com for questions from the audience or just your feedback in general. Uh, and also thank you to uh, Iggy and Gangster Pete for producing this and, of course, all of our sponsors for making the Tim McKernan Show possible. Looking forward to bringing another episode next week. This has been the Tim McKernan Show on the InsideSTL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.